Well, just this week on social media, I was uh, scrolling through the old Facebook news feed and I saw where someone had posted a photograph of a child who had just caught a fish. And oh, that child was just beaming, uh, a smile that was, seemed like it was a mile wide. And it reminded me of the first time I ever caught a fish. And uh, it was in my, my grandfather's pond, one of his ponds, that he had stocked with bass. And, uh, and I just remember how excited I was uh, to, to show that fish to someone. And uh, fishing is one of those activities. It's a whole lot more fun. I know, I'm stating the obvious here. It's a whole lot more fun if you actually catch something. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, maybe for some people getting out on the river or the lake and uh, just spending some time with, with someone they, they care about is fun, but I don't know. You go through all that trouble... It sure is fun if you actually get to, to pull a fish out of the water and uh, get it in the boat or get it up on shore, as the case might be. And so uh, I'm reminded of uh, the several years ago when I used to watch the show Deadliest Catch. And uh, there were all these different boats, and now I can't even remember the name of, of the various boats. But, uh, but they were constantly uh, giving a tally of how many how many pounds of of crab that they had caught uh, up there off the coast of Alaska, and uh, and so it is certainly especially if you're making money doing it, uh, you you want to have your hull uh, full of a catch. Uh, years ago, back in the 90s, I guess it was, I read the book Perfect Storm by Sebastian Younger. Uh, they did make it into a movie, but don't bother. Uh, the, the book is so much better. And, uh, but I remember that they were, they were you know, constantly concerned with how much fish they had caught. And the, the amount of fish would determine, are we going to be gone for two weeks? Or are we going to be gone for as many as four or five weeks from our families and the people we love? And, uh, and it was like their, their rule of thumb was we don't go back in to the coast of Massachusetts until we have caught fish. Now, our scripture reading this morning, uh, a bit longer than usual, but uh, is to set the stage for this morning's message because we are in John chapter 21 this morning. And in John chapter 21, uh, we see... Uh, the, the heading is right there in, in most Bibles, Jesus and the Miraculous Catch of Fish. But this is to remind us of what we just read this morning in Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 5. That, uh, that this is not the first time that Jesus has blessed people after they've been fishing and haven't caught anything. And so... Uh, and so we begin in, in John 21 uh, with verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught 
nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And so, if we're familiar with the gospel accounts, this should remind us of Luke chapter 5. This reminds us of the original calling into ministry, into discipleship of Jesus for Peter, James, and John. And in that episode is when you know, Peter gets on his knees, and so it says, Lord, get away from me, for I am a sinful man. And every time I read that, I just hear the words in my head, I'm not worthy. And to every Christian, I think we can all agree, at least I hope we have enough humility to agree, that we are not worthy. Now, it's important to understand, in, in the Jewish tradition and culture, something like a, a catch of fish this big would immediately have been seen as a blessing from God. And so, that is why Peter, in Luke chapter 5, has this reaction. Because he's saying, you know, this is God doing this. And this is amazing. You know, if we remember... It was so full that not one but two boats began to sink. Their catch was so big in Luke 5. And so now the scene is, is, has some similarities. They're on the Sea of Galilee, and they've been fishing, and they haven't caught anything. There's a guy on the shore. They see him. They don't know who he is. He's built a fire there. He's got some coals going. And then he hollers out, Friends, how are they biting? You got anything? And of course, I read that in the way that I think they might have answered. No. You know, because they've been fishing for a while. They've been out there for probably hours. And uh, by this time, they've been, you know, they were out there during the course of the night. So now it's, it's early morning. And so they're not just going to give, most likely, is the way I read it. They're probably not going to give a casual, uh, no, no we haven't. <laughs> you know, it's probably going to be more of a moan when they, when they call back to this person that they, at this point, do not know who it is. And then now they are hauling in this catch of fish, and all of a sudden now John... Because anytime you hear the one who Jesus loved in John's gospel, he's talking about himself, okay? 
Uh, and so, and so now John looks at Peter and says, "It is the Lord." Because he's like, hey, we've been here before, man. We have been here before, and uh, this has reminded me of something. And he looks on that shore a little closer, and he's like, it's the Lord. So they, they get there, and, and I'll get to that in a minute. But, uh, but, but they're offered breakfast. And so there's food on the fire. Uh, Jesus is cooking some fish. And he's also got some bread. Now, do you remember what story offered up a menu of fish and bread? Loaves and fishes, church people. And so, and so once again, Jesus is reminding us of who he is. And so, uh, on the shore, he's offering breakfast. And so... It's a reminder of all the gifts that Jesus gives. Life with Jesus is a life of blessings. He blesses them with this second miraculous catch of fish. But then he also is providing for them. He's got breakfast ready for them when they arrive on shore. And they probably can't help but remember a time before when loaves and fish were involved. And if they didn't remember, well, then we, we can certainly remember of the blessings that Jesus offers. Now, when I say life with Jesus is life with blessings, that doesn't mean material blessings. You know, that doesn't mean the four or 5,000 square foot house and the Sixty or seventy thousand dollar luxury automobile, etc., etc. You know, people in our society, in our developed Western culture, can hear the word blessings, and they can think about wealth and good health, and that is not what the gospel of Jesus Christ promises us on this side of glory, in no way, shape, or form. Because this same Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. Now those in, in our church family here at Hohenwald, they hear me mention that over and over and over again. And I say that because it's important. It's important that we wake up each day understanding it's not going to be perfect. And some days, it's going to be downright bad. It is. But praise God that we have hope for something better. Praise God that we can give testimony to the fact that we have, we have all survived the worst day we've ever had. And so, and so we have to remember that life with Jesus is a life of blessings. But what does that mean? What do those blessings look like? Well, of course, they can be different for different people. What I do know is that I've sat next to people and had conversations with people over the years that had a chronic illness. But they would tell you that they are the most blessed people on the face of God's earth. I have made three trips to Central America 
to the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And I cannot wait until I finally get to go and take some folks uh, with us. Uh, I look forward to that day when we can travel again and when we can go back to Honduras. But when I go to uh, the town of Trujillo, Honduras, and I'm able to go out with the minister that we support there, Fernando Romero, and I go out with Fernando and we visit some sick people, then we also visit church people. And all of those people I'm visiting with, they've got nothing compared to what we have. You know, they have absolutely nothing compared to what not a wealthy American has, not an above average American has, but a, a typical American or even one that might be on the lower end of our socioeconomic scale. And they still have so little compared to, to, to typical Americans. And yet, they are some of the happiest people you will ever meet. Because their culture is not so wealthy that wealth and the pursuit of wealth gets in the way of them recognizing that life with Jesus means a life of blessings. And so I hope we can, we can wrap our minds around that and that we can, we can come to understand that. And so we look at the last few verses of this section. John chapter 21, beginning with verse 10. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net to shore. This word, this uh, Greek verb that uh, in, in my translation uh, is in English dragged. A lot of translations will say he hauled. Okay, so if you've got a haul of something or if you've got to haul something in, okay, that it signifies the size of it. Uh, you can drag, you can drag anything. But boy, if you've got to haul it to shore, now that's, that's something that, that requires some effort. Uh, so he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Now John gives us those little details, and you might wonder, why is he telling us how many fish, and why is he telling us, bothering to tell us that the net was not torn? It goes to the miraculous nature of what has just occurred. Because a haul of fish that large would have stretched the nets. It would have, have broken the nets, requiring them at the end of this shift, after they took all the fish out of the nets, they would have been required to spend time mending their nets. And uh, because that's what they were doing when Jesus finds them in some of the gospel accounts. They are on the shore, they're mending their nets, and Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And that's actually the title of today's message, follow me. That's what Jesus tells Peter in Luke chapter 5, after Peter essentially says, I'm not worthy to be in your presence, I am a sinner. And Jesus says, follow me. In other words, I understand that you're a sinner. That just makes you 
human like everybody else. So let's set that aside and you just come on and you follow me. And so now uh, John is, is alluding to once again to just who Jesus is to this, this miraculous catch. The nets are not torn. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So John is bearing witness. He's giving testimony here that you know this is not the first, not the second. This is now the third time that Jesus has appeared to his disciples since he conquered death and walked out of a tomb. Now, this gets a little funny here because in verse 12 where it says, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Think about that sentence for a second. It seems a little odd. They didn't dare ask who he was because they knew it was the Lord. He doesn't look like he did before. That's what's going on here. Uh, there, you know, the, the scenes uh, in other Gospels where they uh, arrive at the tomb and then they encounter the, the resurrected Jesus and uh, you know, Mary thinks that he is the gardener uh, in one of the Gospels, and so, and so, uh, you know, it's it's important to understand this is Jesus. He's still human, but he's no longer mortal. Okay, this is the resurrected body. This kind of gives us a, we might say, a foretaste. Uh, a little sign of things to come is what's going on here. Because, you know, in, in the end of the book of Revelation, this same John tells us that he saw the new heavens and the new earth and that all things are going to be made new. And so this is a reminder that our resurrected body looks different than our earthly body. There is a difference. It is made new. And for a guy who's five foot seven and has a low metabolism, I am really excited about being made new. I am, I am just absolutely stoked about, uh, I joke with people and say, you know, uh, hey man, the resurrected Greg is, is going to be at least like 6'2". I mean, uh, you know... Uh, not that not that height is going to matter in heaven. We won't be so so shallow and so superficial to pay attention to the height of resurrected bodies. I'm just sure of it. But nonetheless, uh, you know, I have I hold out a lot of hope for what the resurrected me is uh, is going to look like. And uh, but but it it will be an immortal body. Think about that for a moment. An immortal body. Woo. No more pain, no more prescription medications, uh, no more worrying about you know the high blood pressure and the cholesterol and all the things that people have to deal with, uh, the, the the myriad uh, conditions and diseases and illnesses that are out there, all gonna be gone, 
all just taken away in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. And praise God for that kind of hope. Amen, church? (laughs) And so we move on in this because this is where I'm really going now. We have set the stage. Uh, John has done a great job setting the stage here for where his gospel account concludes. Now, it, it seems strange because at the end of John chapter 20, that looks like a natural place to end the gospel. Uh, the end of John chapter 20 says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Oh, I absolutely love those two verses right there at the end of John 20. That, you know, I'm writing this so that you can believe and that you can have life in his name. That you can be on the receiving ends, the receiving end of those blessings that come from life with Jesus. Not material blessings, but blessings nonetheless. Blessings that are far beyond uh, a house that can be destroyed by a tornado or a fire uh, or a car that uh, you know that, that can be destroyed in an automobile accident. Uh, blessings that are absolutely imperishable. And so we set the stage now that Jesus is there. They know that it is the Lord. He's in His resurrected body, so He does look a little different. And so now in verse 15 of John 21, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John... Do you love me more than these? And of course he's referring to the other six disciples who were gathered around there. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Now I'm going to pause right there because what's probably happened at this point is they're walking away. Later we see uh, at the very end of this chapter, end of this this book, we we see a scene where it, it does indicate that you know, that Jesus and Peter are walking and talking, and now Peter looks back and John is following behind them. So that's an indication that this this conversation probably at this point isn't taking place around the campfire with all those other disciples within earshot. Uh, at some point, Jesus probably motions to Peter, hey, you and I, we got something to talk about. And, uh, you know, I appreciate how Jesus handles this. And uh, this is not the focal point of what's going on here, but we can learn something about conflict management here, church family. Because this is somebody who said three times, I don't know him. Now, put yourself in the shoes of somebody who... uh, You've been close with somebody for a few years now. And then they're someplace without you. And maybe even at a time when you need them most. You need their support. And some, some other people say, Hey, aren't you a friend of, you know, 
Aren't you a friend of Greg's? No. No. I don't I don't know I don't know Greg. And then somebody else says, Now wait, uh you know, didn't I haven't I seen you hanging out with Greg before? Nope. No, no, that's uh you're mistaken. <laughs> that's not me. I don't I don't know I don't know Greg. Don't know him at all. And there's yet a third time that somebody says, Wait, uh, yeah. I've seen you with Greg. I've seen you with Greg several times. You know, I saw you eating up at Snappy's Pizza. Y'all, y'all used to eat there every Sunday night after evening worship. Can't wait to do that again, by the way. But then yet a third time you say, No, no. I, I don't <laughs> I don't know Greg. Would you stop it? Quit asking me about this guy. I don't know him. And then word gets back to you. You know, Bob, on three different occasions, Greg, said he didn't know you. He disowned you. And man, you were in a you were in a rough place. Wonder why he did that. And so they're gathered around that campfire. And I can just see Jesus looking over at Peter and kind of giving one of these, like, you and me, let's, let's go off. Maybe it was the head gesture. Maybe it was the hand gesture. But it probably, there was some indication there, I probably think, that, that the two of them now walked off. And Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John. And that's important because that's what Jesus says in back in John chapter 1 when he meets Peter the first time. And so once again, we're reminded Jesus knows his flock. He knows the names of his sheep. And so he's reminding him, hey, remember when we first met? Oh, Christians, remember that moment when you were first baptized into Christ? Remember that moment when you first met Jesus? Don't don't miss it. Because that's what's going on here. We put ourselves as sinners in the place of Peter. Gossips, liars, adulterers, I don't know that we have any murderers in the bunch. But no matter what the sin is, it's just sin. It's a reminder of your own humanity. It's a reminder of my own humanity. And Jesus is saying, Simon, Peter, excuse me, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And then his his response is, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then, of course, he's going to make him say it a third time. Because he disowned him three times. You disowned me three times. 
then I'm going to make you claim me three times. And so then uh, Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I'm going to stop there for a moment because uh, much has been made uh, over the years of what's going on in the original Greek language because uh, Jesus would ask Peter, you know, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he would use the word agapeo. And of course that's a form of, of Many of us have heard of agape. The Greeks had different words for love. And that's understandable. We have one word for love. But I think we would all agree we use it in different ways. Uh, you know, someone shares an idea. And uh, we really like that idea. It's a, it's a family member, a friend, a co-worker. And we, we like the idea and we respond with, Oh, I love it. Or, you know, I often go back to how often somebody says, how, how do you like your new job? Oh, I love it. How do you like your new car? Oh, I love it. Now, I don't think any of us would have any trouble wrapping our minds around the fact that that word for love, the way we use love, the context of using love in that fashion, is Nothing like the way that we love our parents, our children, our spouse. And so, and so this is agape love. Agapeo is what he says. And uh, that is uh, the ultimate form of self-giving love. And then Peter responds with phileo, which is more of a friendly love. I mean, I, there are people in this room right now. Hayden Bass has told me, you know, that he loves me. Haven't you, Hayden? Yeah. And I've responded back to Hayden, I love you. Uh, just this week in a text message, Jeff Holbrook and I uh, told each other we loved each other. So I'm just grateful that there is so much bro love going on at the Hohenwald Church of Christ. we got all this good bro love. We, we tell each other we love each other. Uh, Bill Lynch, I'm not sure I've ever told you I love you, but brother, I love you. Love you, brother. <laughs> and, so, and so, yeah, we tell each other we love each other. But I think you all will understand and not be offended when I say that me telling you I love you is not the same as me looking at my wife Stacy and saying, I love you. It's different, and we all get that. Now, much has been made of the fact that Jesus used this ultimate form of love and Peter responds with, I phileo you, essentially, is what he's saying here. I love you as a friend. And so some people say that, that Peter can't meet the standard or can't bring himself to use that form of love. John is big on synonyms. 
and I understand that. I myself, writing a bulletin article, I use different phrases for God. Uh, sometimes I simply say God. Sometimes I say Almighty Father. Sometimes I say Creator. Sometimes I say Heavenly Father. And it's just because I don't want to use the same word over and over again. It's just like when Jesus is told, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jesus tells, tells Peter, you know, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, uh, feed my lambs. Okay, There's, it, it's, it's, it all means the same thing. But John is very fond of using synonyms. So let's, if you've ever heard a, a sermon on that, don't let that distract you from what's going on here. Peter is being reinstated as a follower of Jesus. And so we close out this section we're going to read this morning. Verse 18, Very, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now, as I've, as I've reminded us just a moment ago, that we are all sinners. The gossips, the adulterers, the liars, uh, people who have swindled people out of something at one time in their life. Um, maybe you have been guilty of some unethical business practices. And the list can go on and on and on. But we're all sinners. And Jesus says, I understand that you're a sinner. Now, follow me. When, when we exhibit that humility, exhibit that in that moment that says, I'm a child of God. I put on Christ in baptism some time ago. Man, I should be better than this. In that moment, Jesus says, yeah, you should. We'll work on it. But come on and follow me. Jesus doesn't want us to let our past and even our present to get in the way of fishing for people. Jesus doesn't want our sin to keep us from being people who come and worship in His name. He doesn't want our sin to prevent us from keep push, to keep pushing forward and striving to be little by little, a little more each day, closer to His image. Church people, this statement's for you. Don't let your sinful nature keep you from worshiping. Don't let your sinful nature keep you from telling others about Jesus just because they might know that you're a sinner. Being a sinner means you're human. Now, 
I'm not promoting sin. That's not the point of this. We should strive to not sin. We need to own our sin. We need to repent of our sin. But go back to that moment when you first truly met Jesus. When you put on Christ in baptism and knew that your sins were atoned for. Your sins had been washed away. And that's what Jesus is reminding you of. That no matter what you've done, it's not so much. Even if you have disowned Him three times, you can still come back to Him. He looks at you and lovingly says, Follow me.